0: Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, February the 9th in 2024 on When I Rise, Today we come to the end of Year B, Transfiguration Sunday. And on the Friday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the Gospel passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised, comma, Lectionary, and this week of the Church's calendar year. And so we find ourselves in the Gospel of Mark. We'll read verses, sorry, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. A week later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John away by themselves and went up a high mountain. There he was transformed before their eyes. His clothes shone with a whiteness that no laundry on earth could match. Elijah appeared to them, and Moses too, and they were talking with Jesus. Teacher, said Peter as he saw this, it is great to be here. I tell you what, we'll make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my son, the one I love, listen to him. Then quite suddenly they looked around and saw nobody there anymore, only Jesus with them. As they came down the mountain, Jesus instructed them not to talk to anyone about what they had seen until he said, the son of man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for us. All right, so for me, questions abound when I read this passage. Um, Number one, I just love this little line in verse six. He didn't know what to say. They were terrified. Isn't that awesome? It's like there's this parenthetical background comment that uh, Mark wants to make about the whole thing. And uh, but the thing that I have questions about more than anything else is this, I mean, they go up this high mountain and uh, Jesus is ahead of the rest of the disciples and he is talking with Moses and Elijah. I just kind of wonder what they're talking about, right? And maybe they've got some plans. I think maybe the other Gospels expound on this a little more. But isn't it surprising that even though Peter has never seen Moses and Elijah, there is no photography at this time in the world. <laughs> how he could say, oh, it's good for us to be here. I mean, Moses and Elijah are here. We can <laughs> make them some some shanties, uh, some temporary housing, so that we can all spend some time together here. I mean, how does Peter know this is you know elijah and moses i guess there's a sense where this it might have been it might have dawned on him it may have been a little more clear at the time but i always always get a little chuckle at thinking about this story um and so many people oh they try to give peter james and john a hard time in this passage um and i think it's just easy to dunk on other people but i don't know what you and i would do if we were in, the, in that scenario it seems like Peter would like to stay up the mountain, right? And and oftentimes what you hear a preacher say is we all have those mountaintop experiences. we got to come down from the mountain sometime, right? And so there's like this interesting rhythm of the Christian life where we get these seasons where... Things seem to be going so well Uh, maybe we go to a retreat and we get to sing our hearts out and we get to sort out our lives and we get some clarity about what we need to do next when we enter back into the real world i mean it seems to be the standard talk for like the last day of all youth camps right you know oh we know that you've had a great time here but we're going to go back to the real world where all these amenities of spirituality are no longer in plentiful supply, and so you're going to have to figure out how to follow Jesus back in the real world, right? So I think that tends to be the angle that uh, a lot of pastors take when reading this passage, because it does seem like Peter is denied his request here. Once again, he didn't know exactly what he was saying, so maybe he wasn't so heartbroken. But they didn't go empty-handed, did they? I mean, they get this, this great cloud overshadows and envelops them. And a voice came out of that cloud, obviously the voice of God, uh, conveying to them some secret revelation about who Jesus is and about what uh, he means and his significance in the world. And then Jesus gives this warning uh, that uh, they should not uh, mention it, anything that happens, you know, in this, uh, about all this upper mountaintop experience, right? Right. But it seems like they're still putting the pieces together. I mean, there are times that Jesus hints at his death and suffering. He hints at his glorification. And they seem so uh, unaware of what's going on when those events actually happen. But nevertheless, Jesus took these three disciples up a mountain and he is transfigured before them. And it seems like heaven and earth overlap in this moment. I think it's good for us to look at heaven and earth this way. I think for whatever reason, some of our stock images of heaven is that it's a far off place. Sometimes people say it's above us, right? And they get it, you know, they could maybe make a reference or two from the Bible. Like when Jesus ascends to the Father, he goes up and the angels say, what men of Galilee, why do you look up here? Right? So people say, well, that's it. Jesus went up and away. Um, But really in the first century audience, they would have sensed that heaven was just a, sh- a shorthand way of saying this is where God dwells and earth is where people dwell. We even see that in place like Psalm 115, verse 16, where the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth is given to the hands of people, right? He's given to the people of, of God. And so um, heaven and earth is overlapping here. And I think the average Jew, the first century um, you know, primary audience of this passage, they would have... Um, reckon that uh, this is where heaven draws near and these three disciples have this unique opportunity like a backstage pass to dwell in the eternal dwellings right to um, rest in eternity for a moment all the while still being on earth Um, if you hang around uh, Christian formation people long enough you'll hear of this reference called thin spaces right where uh, it seems like God is drawing so near like it's as if like he's in the very next room and the thing that divides us is not a wall like with sheetrock, but it's like a curtain, and we can hear vividly and sense vividly what's happening on the other side. I think by the time at the end of our Christian experience, we've had a, we'll probably have a handful of these experiences where God drew near. And this is certainly what happens in this passage. Uh, God draws near; the disciples get to experience God, and Jesus is glorified. And I think this is a good rubric for any close encounter with God: is that uh, we have a sense of awe wonder, and we sense. We hear and feel and know something more about Jesus than we did before. And so friends, let's chase these experiences. Let's don't chase spiritual highs necessarily, but don't you want to be close to God? Don't don't I want to be close to God? Don't we want to know more about Jesus? And so what it, the call for the Christian disciple is, is to so structure our lives where this might be something that happens all the more regularly. Um, there's this great line that N.T. Wright says, uh, Gary Player is a golfer and he was in the middle of a round and somebody heckled him from the crowd and they said gary player you're so lucky and he says i know and i i find the more i practice the luckier i get (laughs) isn't that awesome i think it's the same way in the spiritual life Uh, let's put the car of our spiritual life in gear so it can be steered towards moments like these they won't just happen to us if we just stay stationary but what if we build a rule of life where it would seem like God would draw near because we're doing some activities and we're we're prioritizing things which he would draw near towards, right? I mean, God's everywhere, sure. But he's also wanting to draw near to those who seek him, right? We seek him with all of our hearts. So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the promise that when we draw near to you, that you'll draw near to us. You also tell us that when we seek you with all of our hearts, that we'll find you. We also recognize that you're the Holy God uh, who stands alone in your own presence and that we're you know, your people and uh, through scripture and community and prayer and service, we get bits and pieces of this awareness that you are near to us. We also recognize that there are, are vivid times, maybe a handful of them in our life. We sense this uncanny, mysterious presence of you all around us. And so we do thank you for this chance the disciples had on the top of this mountain. We thank you that uh, you didn't spurn them, that you didn't uh, condemn them in their request to stay for a long while, but you drew near to them, and it was an amazing experience for them, and you spoke tender words to them. And so, God, we just thank you for the privilege that it is to be your people that you surround us, that you uh, tell us truth, and you continue to make us into the people of God. And so this day, as we begin this day, we allow our souls to rise to meet you. Uh, We thank you that um, we can draw near to you. And as we do so, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you'd reveal who you are, and ultimately that you'd reveal more about who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We're not in this faith for any other reason, but because we want to be with you, God. And so we pray that we might sense your presence today. Let's call these things in Jesus' name. Amen.